There's an island off the north coast of Germany called Heligoland. In 1994, off the northwestern coast of that island, a body was discovered, with injuries that suggested foul play. Wearing smart clothes and expensive shoes, he was given the name The Gentleman. But nearly 30 years later, he's still unidentified, and his killers have got away with murder. Welcome to the mysterious case of the Gentleman of Heligoland, one of Europe's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 13 The Two Davids We left episode 12 with two men in our sights as potentials for being the gentlemen of Heligoland. Two Davids. David Martin, a sound engineer who became a very rich man who mysteriously vanished from the UK at the end of 1992 and whose body was never ever found. And secondly, David, or as we now know, Detlev Kruger, a six foot five inch man missing from Guelph in Canada. And our primary objective over the last few weeks was to move forward our investigation into each of those men to try to establish if either could be connected with the gentleman case. Firstly, let's focus on David Martin. We had two methods of either counting him in or counting him out, dentistry and height. Firstly, dentistry. We knew from our conversations with Josefina Naj that the gentleman had suffered from a significant crossbite, one that would have been quite obvious in his facial features. And fortunately, David Martin was a very successful businessman in a very high-profile industry, rock music, concert, sound engineering. There are pictures of him. I sent those pictures to Josefina because I wanted her opinion as to whether the pictures of David Martin could possibly match the skull of the gentleman. So, Josefina, lovely to see you again. How are you, uh, how are you keeping? Oh, hi. Hi, Ken. Thank you for having me again. No, I'm fine. I'm going to, for a vacation tomorrow, so I'm, I'm really good. We wanted, or I wanted at least, to get your view on these two characters that we believe may potentially have some relevance in relation to the gentleman of Heligoland case. And they are David Martin, who disappeared around that time, and Detlef Kruger, who's the German man who disappeared yes. from Canada 10 years before. Now, fortunately, we have images of both of those people. And also, fortunately, you've already had a look at the skull of the gentleman, and you came to a fairly clear conclusion that there was a significant crossbite in relation to the gentleman's jaw. Yes, yes. Okay. So I've obviously sent you those images for uh, mm -hmm. David Martin and Detlef Kruger, and I'm interested in what you thought looking at those images in terms of was there any evidence there of any kind of misalignment in the jaws? 
Yeah. So um, let's start with David Martin. I uh, looked at all the photos, standing up, sitting, um, and there's just no evidence for crossbite at all. Okay. So I'm so, pretty convinced it's not him. So therefore, if we if we believe, as we should, that the crossbite exists, the very mm -hmm. fact it doesn't exist in David Martin is enough mm -hmm. really to make us fairly sure it's not him. Absolutely. Yes. Perfect. I would say yes. So in terms of Detlef Kruger, any... Anything there? Yeah, well, I, I really looked at uh, his uh, portrait photo really thoroughly. And yes, he does not have a uh, symmetrical face. That is true. But many of us don't have a symmetrical face. And um, his chin is deviating a tiny, tiny bit to the left, which would be the right direction, uh, according to the skull of the gentleman. But it's not enough to convince me that he has a crossbite like the gentleman. So my feeling is it's not him. Okay. So there is a slight deviation in the right direction, but yes. you would expect, given what you've seen of the skull, for that deviation to be much more noticeable in Detlev than we in fact see. Okay. So I'm pretty convinced about that. So in conclusion, David Martin, definitely no. Detlef Kruger, probably no, although there's a slight deviation. Or would you say definitely no? I don't want to put words in your uh, mouth. Maybe not 100%, but I'd say 98. <laughs> oh, that's, that's quite close. No, but that's useful, extremely useful. So I really appreciate that. So Josefina, as always, thank you so much for your, your thoughts on that. It really helps. Thank you, Ken. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. So in the case of David Martin, Josefina was really clear. The dentistry rules him out. The issue of the crossbite, it's just not there. It's just not him. But before we rule him out completely, we needed to check the height. If we could get the fact that he wasn't six foot five corroborated, then we can rule him out for certain. Because remember, the gentleman was six foot five. And David Martin, in order to be of interest in this case, also needed to be six foot five. Ian had been tracking down some people who knew David Martin back in the 1980s. So I was anxious to speak to him to find out what he'd been able to find out. Hello, Ian. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing great, Ken. Doing great. How are you? Good. Yeah, good. Nice sunny day out there. But I want to catch up with you because I'm interested in the fact that you've been talking to people, I think, who knew David Martin physically. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what they had to say about him and specifically his height, really. I have. I have. I joined the uh, Martin Audio uh, community group on Facebook and just asked a question if anyone had met him and got quite a few responses. Uh, Probably uh, the most interesting ones. Uh, I talked quite early on to a, a lady called uh, Sonia Shortland, who had been interviewed for a job by him in uh, wow. 1988. Did she get and it? She got it. She worked Good. with him all the way through till he left and uh, was was quite uh, upset by his demise. Yeah. As a side, I'm absolutely convinced, by the way, that uh, the right man went to prison for him being murdered in the garage so 
She certainly okay. didn't uh, didn't hold up much uh, faith in my suggestion that it might he might have been found in the North Sea. Um, mm. But anyway, uh, she she said that she he did he was easily six foot, and when I quizzed her on that. What she what she meant by that was that he was probably about six foot, but she did point out that she's five foot one, so anyone over five foot two looks really tall to her. But yeah, she 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 thought probably six foot. Um, I then talked to a guy called uh, David Pringle, who had worked with him when he was mixing a couple of shows, one at Wembley, one at Milton Keynes Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he's five foot eleven, standing alongside him. He was about the same height, maybe a little bit shorter. Uh, and then finally, when I talked to a, a chap who knew him way back at the, in the start of Martin Audio, when they were still in Euston Road, he said he was six foot seven, that, that, that Will Norton was six foot seven. So the, so the guy who knew him was six foot seven? Six foot seven, yes. Yeah. When I, I asked if he could remember towering over him, he said, well, no, but then I don't, I don't feel like I'm towering over, over everybody. But didn't think it could be any more than he certainly didn't stand face to face to him. Um, right. So his estimate was around about five eleven, six foot. Okay. None of which okay. is totally conclusive. However, in terms of trying to say that David Martin could be the gentleman of Heligoland, I'm sure from those reports that he isn't, because yeah. it's no, nobody said he's six foot five. And the interesting thing there is that you've spoken to someone who's five foot one, you've spoken to someone who's five foot eleven, and you've spoken to someone who's six foot seven, and they all pretty much say the same height that yeah. he was about five eleven. So uh, I think we've got a really good range of uh, of opinion there in terms of what his actual height was. And if we're pretty convinced about that, which we I think we both are now, he's not the gentleman. Correct. We could leave him. He's he's not going to help us find out who it was that got pulled out of the North Sea. Very interesting case, though. Really interesting. Oh, yeah. Really interesting case. I'm sure we'll come back to that at some point. But, hey, mate, thanks for that. Really appreciate the work you've done on that. And uh, I think we can close the book on on David Martin. I agree. Cheers, mate. See you soon. So that's pretty clear. According to Ian's contacts, he just isn't the right height. And to put the final cherry on the very top of that cake... I received an email out of the blue from a man called Brad Stevens in America, who's a senior manager with Martin Audio. He's also a listener to the podcast. And he had put some feelers out on his side of the Atlantic to people who had known David Martin. There was a customer in North Carolina who'd met David Martin in the 1980s, and he recollected he was about six foot tall. There was also a mixing engineer who had met David Martin around the same period, who himself was 5'11", and he recalled that David Martin was no taller than himself. So, again, the power of the podcast in reaching out to people all around the world. But I think we can safely say now, David Martin is not the gentleman of Heligoland. It's an absolutely fascinating case, one which I very much want to go back to, in the future for a whole host of reasons there's big mysteries involved in that case but for now in relation to the gentleman of Heligoland it's time to forget David Martin and focus our attention on Detlef Kruger. We'd heard 
earlier in this episode that Josefina thinks it's unlikely that the gentleman is Detlef Kruger. But there is an asymmetry to his face. And that asymmetry is in the right direction. It matches the gentleman's skull. Now she thought it would be far more visible in the photographs. And time has taught me to take what Josefina says very seriously. But remember, Detlef Kruger is six foot five. So is the gentleman of Heligoland. That's a match. That's a very, very rare match. And in fact, what Josefina says, we could argue, strengthens the case for the gentleman of Heligoland to be Detlef Kruger. Because we now know, not only does he match on height, he has the same asymmetry to his jaw, the same crossbite. It should be more obvious, but it's definitely there. So I'm not as ready to give up on Detlef Kruger as I was on David Martin. But where could we go with Detlef Kruger to work out more about what had happened to him? Well, again, the power of the podcast and the listenership came to our rescue. Rachel Roberts O'Neill reached out from Canada. She lives in Ontario and she offered to try and do some digging locally to see what else we could find out about Detlev Kruger. Agent O'Neill had been hard at work. She contacted somebody at the Guelph Museum and between them they were able to uncover quite a lot more about the time that David Kruger spent in Guelph. Now remember, Kruger went missing in April 1979, a six foot five man, never been seen again, originally from Germany. He and his family were living in the Toronto suburb of Scarborough, but it seems that he went to Guelph to go to university. So between Rachel and her colleague, they were able to piece together where David Kruger was in this critical time before he disappeared and also the name of his roommate. What they did was go through all the directories for Guelph for the whole of the 1970s looking for David M. Kruger and they found something. In 1976 David M. Kruger was working at Mr. Scoop Ice Cream living at apartment 212 2 Quebec Street in downtown Guelph. There's no mention of him in 1977, but then in 1978, David M. Kruger reappears, living at apartment 5, 117 Liverpool Street in Guelph, showed as a student. Now, remember, he's born in 1950, so he's 28 by then. That's quite old to be a student. And there's also no mention at all about this hot tub business that he's supposed to be running. There's someone else living at that address, a man called Michael Stone, who also seems to be a student. David M. Kruger never appears again, but then we know he disappeared on the 26th of April 1979, only a few months later, and he was reported missing on the 2nd of May 1979. So if we really want to understand what happened to David M. Kruger, 
it might be a very good idea to try and find Michael Stone. So a huge thank you to Rachel, a huge thank you to Rachel's colleague for all that work. So the hunt for David M. Kruger, who we now know is Detlef Manfred Kruger, moves to finding Michael Stone. Rachel connected with Joe Willis and Joe has been digging around trying to find any Michael Stones that might be relevant. So I thought I'd give her a call. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? Oh, hello, Ken. Well, I'm under the weather. Um, I've got a very bad cold. You but, sound a bit um, sniffly. I just want to be well enough to go back to school on Monday because I don't like yeah. having a day. Don't like having a day off. You know, it puts everybody well, out. Oh, thanks for making yourself available to talk through this because uh, what I've just been through is what Rachel O'Neill has been doing in Canada and narrowing down what David Kruger, Detlef Kruger, was doing in Guelph, and and she come to the conclusion that he was living with a guy called Michael Stone. And yes. I know you picked this up from there, and I'm interested to see what your research has revealed about Michael Stone. Okie doke. Well, as soon as I saw um, the, the Michael Stone entry on the list, I knew that you'd, you'd want me to research that. You know, it's very complicated. If we start with the 76 directory where he's working at Mr. Scoop, it, it does surprise me that actually, because from the photographs on Canada's Missing, the two graduation photographs are dated 77. If, if this 78 entry is our David, why is he a student again? When on Canada's Missing, the two photographs say he graduated in 77. Well, I can think of one explanation for that. You probably can as well. But it's in, in the sense of he could be doing a postgrad. Yeah, I definitely thought that. And um, I, I look back at those two photographs on Canada's Missing, these two graduation photographs. And, you know, they're both rather different. I'm rather suspicious. I'm not 100% sure they're both from 1977. You're sure they're the same person, aren't you? And they are clearly the same person. Well, they're on the Canada's Missing, you know, yeah. website for David Kruger, David Manfred Kruger. So the family must have provided them. So what, what's your what's your concern then about, well, about these Those photos? two pictures. Well, I know it sounds silly, but his hair is different on both. His tie, ties, is different on both. And his graduation attire. And I'm wondering if one picture is from one graduation and one picture is from another graduation, because I've got several. I've got that many flaming daft degrees. I've got several graduation pictures, you know. Yeah. And that's just I mean, maybe we could put those pictures up on, on our Facebook group so people can look and then they can say, no, Joe, you don't have to worry about anything. No, but, but that I, could be true, because in, in the sense of if he was. If we have got a graduation picture from 77 and we've got him showing in 1978 still as a student, mm. that kind of implies that he's doing a MSc or a PhD. Yeah, a postgrad. And, yeah. and the second one could be from that second graduation. I mean, he's 28 in 1978. Yes. That's old for a student. Well, the thing is, I um I had to keep thinking about this because I'd found our our you know David Manfred Kruger on um, the electoral roll for seventy two, 
which I think has already been mentioned in a previous podcast with Otto and Christy, living in York Scarborough, and he's listed as a student there. Now, I I cannot say for sure he would have been at the uh, University of Guelph, by the way. You know, we can't be sure. I mean, there is a university, there was, still is, um, a University of Toronto Scarborough, which was at that point called Scarborough College. And um, halls of residence didn't open till 73, which may explain why he was living at home. Um, yeah, but, but Guelph, no. Guelph is quite a famous university town, though, I understand. It, yes, it is. And of course, we do then see in, in 78, he's living with Michael Stone, a student, and they're in Guelph. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if he was then attached to Guelph, possibly. Um, I have actually contacted the University of Guelph to see if they'll give me some clarification, actually. Well, the key key thing is, though, the man in Guelph, David M. Kruger, is extremely likely to be the one we're after. I absolutely absolutely agree with you. Yeah, I'm just, um, you know, the the only thing why it's of interest to me is the more accurate knowledge we have about where he was, the more chance we have of learning about him. Um, uh, just a couple of quick things. There's no mention of a hot tub business, anything that we can find. So that's interesting. He's supposed to yes. have this hot tub business that was going badly wrong. But just, just it's worth knowing that if he was a student in 1978, which is what he says in the, in the records, he disappears in April 79. Yes. Uh, and, and he was reported missing on the 2nd of May 1979. So... He couldn't, didn't have very long to develop this business that was going badly wrong. Mm, so I was thinking that myself, you know, that, and, and you know, Michael Stone's of great interest because it is, you know, it's very possible he was this business partner. And, it, and even if he wasn't, you know, he could give us some insight into David. So Michael Stone has been identified as someone this man was sharing an apartment with. So did how did we try and uncover michael stone or find out more about him Mm. well in my little head that lives with the fairies i thought finding him would be very easy because you know i had found um our david you know on a a 72 record Mm. and so i thought right well i'll start looking at the these are the electoral roles so i started Mm. looking for a Michael Stone and his family on those that are available to me online, mm. which are up to about 74, roughly. You mm. know, I can't I can't get more than that. You'd have to go to the libraries and the museums there to get further, you know, as Rachel did. Mm. So um, what I found was, um, uh, so the first Michael Stone I found was on a, a 72 electoral roll living in Greenwood, Ontario. I had mm. to stick to Ontario because otherwise it was too big at that point. Mm. And, and he's listed as a student and his parents' mm. names were given. I was able to contact his sister. She mm. was wonderful. Um, she spoke to him, but he said, no, he'd not lived in 1978 with a, a David Kruger. He seemed you know, she said to me, he didn't seem to have any memory of that. Okay, and she directly so, spoke to him? Uh, uh, she did. She kept saying, no, I've contacted him. I've contacted him again and had another conversation with him. Okay, so it's no, not him. No, I've, you know, I'm taking that 
as a given. Yeah. Then I, I found uh, another one, another Michael Stone, 72, uh, didn't say whether he was a student or not. He was living in Perth, Wilmot, Ontario, with his parents. I've made contact with the family and I'm waiting to hear back. Mm-hmm. And then another one, 72, a Michael Sean Stone. Now this is getting further away now, so I'm not so happy. British mm-hmm. Columbia. No, that's a long Maybe. way away. It is too far. I've made contact waiting that's, to hear back. That's right on the other side of the of Calgary. Yeah, so you can see now it's getting hard. Calgary, Alberta. Yeah. yeah. Again, that's too far. Um, I've made contact with the family, uh, and, and that one's actually a very weak one because okay. I do fi- I do find him the next year, and he's married, and I, if that's the same man, it's not him. So well, was, you found him in 1973. I found, I found him in 72 unmarried and he's a student in Calgary, yeah. Alberta. Yeah. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, in 78, he could have gone down to, to Guelph, you know. But yeah. then in 74, if it's the same one, he's still in Calgary, Alberta, and he, he's married and he's what's yeah. called a, a land man. Obviously, yeah, I forget. Forget yeah. him, it's not him. So yeah, of those him. four, it sounds like number two is the yes. is the favourite at the moment. Yeah, the Perth will not. I think they will get back to me. You just have to play the waiting game sometimes for people yeah. to see see a message. Um, but Perth Wilmot is the place in Ontario where this guy lived. Yes, in seventy two. In seventy two, right? Yeah. That sounds interesting. There was something I started and want to continue, which is um, going on to the newspapers, the Canada newspapers, the ones that are uploaded. Not all of them are, unfortunately. I thought, you know, why don't I start now looking for Michael Stones in newspaper items in Ontario and start trying to do contacts there? Now, um, I'm currently trying to trace uh, a Michael Stone who who was living, it's about the right time, but I'm still a bit vague on this, in Simcoe, Ontario. And he has a wife now called Sharon, Sharon Stone. I've heard of her. (laughs) Now I don't. Now I'm I'm actually having a dickens of a time actually trying to track this Michael Stone living with Sharon Stone just to find out if he did go to the University of Guelph and live with Michael Kruger. Is this the same one that is the favourite of the four that you identified earlier? No, no, this is definitely different. In fact, I'm trying to retrace my steps on that. Now, I've got a good one, though, and um, I'm in contact with someone who is trying to put me in touch with the mother of a Michael Stone who came from Windsor, Ontario. Now, that's okay. quite quite a good area yeah. for us. Yeah. And, and this Michael Stone now lives in California. I'm just quite interested in that person. I, I think you've clearly gone through pretty much every Michael Stone that lives in Ontario or lived in Ontario at the time. Yeah, um, well, and I know I know Rachel O'Neill actually had had a go as well. And, and she'd said to you, you know, can can Joe do anything? You know, and, and this is a struggle. And I'm wondering if he, you know, if Michael Stone does now live elsewhere. Now, there's a very usually, good chance. There's a very, I mean, yeah. none of us live where we went to university, really, do we? Yeah. So of the people you've looked at so far, the Michael Stones, who are is the guy that lived with 
David Detlef Kruger. There's a guy from this place called Perth Wilmot Perth. in Ontario. Yes. And yes. there's this guy from Windsor, Ontario, yes. who now lives in California. Are those the two favourites in Joe's world at the moment? They are the favourites, but I do have a lot more to do with the newspaper articles. I mean, you know, in a couple of weeks, I could have come up with better and just, you know, just need more time. Well, um, we've got time. We've got loads of time. So I think the sensible thing to do is to see what comes from those two Michael Stones that, that yes. are the favourites and uh, dig through the newspaper, see if anything turns up. We've also got some more help from uh, in Guelph. Uh, we, I've been in contact with one of our listeners in Guelph who's, uh, who's based there and is, is also putting some feelers out for Michael Stone. In fact, he told me he was going to go to Liverpool Street, where they used to live, knock on the door and see if anybody knows him. Oh, wow. But it is 50 years ago, so it's pretty unlikely. Yeah, I think we will find him. Yeah, I think it's a good chance. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good chance. Well, look, brilliant. Absolutely amazing work, as always. Uh, It's uh, it's fascinating to catch up in terms of what what you've been doing. Sounds like you've been battling your way through your cold during the course (laughs) of this call as well. So thanks for doing that. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Have a good one. Bye. So that's where we stand in the search for Michael Stone, the roommate of David Manfred Kruger, or Detlef Manfred Kruger, as we know he was originally called. The man who went missing from Guelph in 1979, never seen again, who originally came from northwest Germany, is exactly the right height and weight and age as a gentleman of Heligoland, who it also seems shared the same crossbite in the same direction as the gentleman of Heligoland. He's still very much a person of interest. But there are a couple of other things I need to update you on. Firstly, I've been back in contact with Guelph Police. I wanted confirmation that Detlef Kruger and David Kruger were the same person. We were pretty sure of that because we know both had the same parents, Otto and Krista, and travelled to Canada in 1953. But I wanted to see if the family could confirm this. So I asked my contact in Guelph Police to see if that could be confirmed with them. And I got a reply. I've spoken to the family members, but I'm not able to confirm our missing person's parental details for you. They have requested privacy. I really do appreciate you reaching out to me and the work that you and your colleagues continue to put into this case. You are really doing admirable work to bring closure to families. So please reach out if other things come up and if I can help, I will. But unfortunately, I'm not able to discuss all aspects of the case with you. And that's perfectly understandable, both in terms of the family requesting privacy and the limitations of what the police can share with me. It is, after all, an open case. But I've shared with the Guelph police the name Michael Stone, the man who was living with David Kruger just before he disappeared, just to make sure they know everything we know. Secondly, do you remember the lead isotopic analysis report from the German police that had led to their belief, with a high degree of certainty, that the gentleman of Heligoland came from Australia 
That, by the way, was one of the main reasons we became interested in David Martin. Well, you'll also remember that I had some doubts on that, based on the fact that Australian lead was in all European petrol in the 1960s, 70s and 80s. And that would mean that every European growing up at that time would have Australian lead in them. And therefore, its presence was not an indicator in itself that a person came from Australia, could just as easily come from Europe. Now, I figured that the scientists conducting the isotopic analysis must have accounted for that. But I was interested in exactly how they did that. Well, I passed these doubts to a reporter that we knew in Germany who was in contact with the German police. And he had reached out to one of the scientists who were actually involved in the isotopic analysis of the gentleman. Well, it seems that there was a team of scientists involved looking at different isotopes. A different scientist was looking at the lead and strontium isotope analysis. So I'm hoping that before the next episode, I will know far more about the details of the isotopic analysis and what that means to the case. What I have learned though, which I can share with you, is that the scientists did consider the lead in petrol and they are still convinced of an Australian connection because the value was so unusually high. It had to be from Australia. So maybe it's time to start looking in far more detail into missing Australians. But that's for next time. So until next time, have a good one. The Mysterious Case of the Gentleman of Heligoland is a copyrighted GSE Media production, written and narrated by Ian Mackay and Ken Davis, and produced by myself, Ken Davis.